Well, good morning. <laughs> Certainly not what you expected when you woke up this morning and thought about going to Keystone, but here we are. I'm used to sitting there where you all are, just sitting comfortable, relaxing. But today I'm up here. Randy approached me a couple of months ago and said, hey, would you be interested and willing to fill in for Brady when he's gone sometime this summer as he's been gone a few times? So I was like, well, I will pray about that, think about that. <laughs> I am used to being at Keystone. I'm usually here on Wednesday mornings with a much smaller crowd, a group of about 100 women called Common Ground that meet here, and we meet in the studio. And um, yeah, there's a few Common Ground friends um, here to make me feel comfortable. Thank you, ladies. But um, yeah, so I've, I am used to being at Keystone, just not on this big stage. Now, Brady and Sarah Ann, as Randy said, are in Israel right now. Hot. You think these past few days in Michigan have been hot? It is hot there, over 100 degrees, and they're climbing rugged, sheer rock and not much shade. But I've got a picture of them, in case you came here to see Brady. At least you get to see a picture of him and his lovely wife. There we are. Um, they're in Israel because they are preparing, actually, to lead a trip of us sometime in t next year, in 2020, in the fall, maybe October. Um, they're hoping to lead a group of us to Israel for a two-week trip. So that's what they're doing right now. They should be coming back, I think, sometime this week. But in case you came here to see him, I thought, well, at least I can show you a picture. <laughs> and if you're brand new to Keystone, welcome. And hopefully you're able to come back another time when Brady is here to lead us and our Keystone family in a service. But this morning it's me. And this summer, Brady had decided he wanted to do teachings on the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount. And so that's what we're doing here this morning. It's a series that we've entitled Better. Jesus has a better way for us to do life. And so we're going to look at Matthew 6 together this morning, and we're going to see what Jesus has to show us about doing life. And so we're going to start with Matthew 6, verse 1, and that reads like this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will not have a reward from your Father in heaven. So that's verse 1, and Jesus is speaking here, and this first verse sort of encapsulates everything he's going to be talking about following this verse. And he's going to explain to us what he means by this. And so we're going to look at, like Jesus has got like three different examples he's going to share because he wants us to understand what does he mean by not practicing your righteousness to be seen by others. So let's look at a couple of them. As you continue on in Matthew 6, it goes like this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And then he gives another example, and we're going to read that one, and then we're going to talk about this a little bit. Another example he gives is about fasting. Now, that's not something a lot of us do to show off to other people in this day, although many people still do fast. Back then, it was like, man, if you fasted, you were just quite something, and you made yourself look terrible for some reason. <laughs> some people would know you were fasting. So he says to those, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, do you notice something that Jesus keeps talking about? He's bringing up, huh, I really don't want you working at doing your good stuff in front of other people to be seen by them. Don't be like Randy showing off to your girlfriend. <laughs> you end up landing on your head and have a bloody mess on the floor. <laughs> That's what happens. That's what Jesus is warning his audience about. He said, don't live your life to be seen by others. See, because you think that when you're going to be seen by others, you're going to show them all your good stuff, you're going to hide your bad stuff, but you're going to work all that good stuff in front of people so they see everything good about you. And then they're going to see you, and in your mind, you think, oh, they're going to honor me because I'm so good. Now, I don't know about you, But have you ever met somebody that it was like you could almost sense the pride seeping out of them? You have a sense of, you can see what they're working. And I don't know if you leave honoring that person or if you see their arrogance. I don't know about you, but I don't think pride is very beautiful. I know there was a time in my life where I was still struggling with pride. I was so prideful, I didn't even know I was prideful. But you know when you're full of something, you can see little pieces of it in somebody else? You know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about specks and planks. How you can see the speck of sin in somebody else's life and you got this big old plank sticking out of yours. See, I could see little specks of pride in other people because you know what? It was so familiar to me, I knew what it looked like. And then God got a hold of my heart in my 30s. And by his grace, he showed me the pride in my life. And it made me sick. It was detestable. I had this big old plank in my eye knocking people down. That's what pride does.
Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be practicing all everything that you think is good about your life in front of other people to be seen by them. Because you know what? Jesus says, if you do that, you will receive your reward from them and you'll receive it in full. And what is the reward you receive? Well, it looks like in the passage, the reward is that you get seen by them. Okay. And maybe they honor you. Or maybe they've just noticed your pride. And it leaves them with a sour taste in their mouth. But that's the reward. So basically, they've seen you, and you leave like the same person. Nothing's changed about you except for someone's noticed you. And they've had either a response of honor or disgust from you. But that's it. Now what's interesting, what I want to pause and look at here, is the word reward. You know, when we read it, the word reward is the same English word. You receive your reward in full, or the Father will reward you. But in the original language, different words are used for that. So when Jesus says that you're going to receive your reward in full from other people, that reward is this. Misthos. And it's a noun. Simply means you're going to receive a reward, and that reward is... It's a due paid for your, that you get from work. It's your wages. It's a result from your toils and endeavors. I mean, that's your work. You're working your life trying to live the goodness of it in front of others. You're working for it. You're working for honor. You're hoping to be seen. And your reward is just a noun. But it's interesting. What Jesus says is that reward is paid in full. And that's the verb. That's the action of what Jesus is trying to show us. He says you get a reward, yes, but the verb is it's paid in full, which means it's enough. It's all you get. The transaction is closed, you've been paid. And we talked about your payment is that you've been seen. And maybe you're honored, or maybe people have seen past that and seen your pride and arrogance. That's the reward. Paid in full, in the original text, comes before the word reward, and it comes after. So it would read like this. Paid in full, your reward, paid in full. And because it's said twice, it means... It's paid, and you get nothing else. It's like your paycheck. You get your paycheck, you don't get a penny more. (laughs) Your boss is very careful. Right? You get just your due, and then that's it. Because it's enough. So Jesus is saying, if other people have seen you, that's it. That's all you get. You get people seeing you, and either they honor or detest what they just saw. And you leave the same person. Now, What's different when Jesus talks about his father having a reward for us 
It's a different Greek word. And it's this Greek word. Epididymi. My father will reward you. This word, this reward is a verb. This reward is an action. This word has all the movement. This is a reward with movement. It's moving, and it's moving in your direction. And what's it moving with? It's trying to pay off. It's going to pay off a debt that you owe. My father will reward you. He'll pay off a debt you owe to him. My father will deliver to you from his own profit. He's saying God has got stuff, and he wants to give it to you. That's your reward. He wants to give over something which might have been retained. I thought that was an interesting definition. Because you think about being retained, you think about the other word reward, right? You paid in full, retained, nothing else. Jesus says, no, my father's completely the opposite. He's got a reward that keeps giving, and it won't be retained. And it comes at you. And then lastly, to give back or to restore. My Father wants to restore you back to himself. The reward is a verb. God is continually wanting to give you. When I found that out, I just thought, what a cool thing that Jesus is trying to tell us here. And so he gives one more example, and we're going to land on this one for a little bit. The last example is about prayer. And Jesus says this when he's talking about prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And when I read this, I couldn't help but smile. I thought, wow, I think we got this one down pat. I think you guys all memorized this verse. I don't think I've ever seen any one of you standing here in Keystone praying so that we would all see you and honor you. Haven't seen anybody standing on Spalding and Ada Drive or even at one of our entrances so that we could see what a wonderful person you were because you were praying at the street corner. So you got this one down, but we're going to still see what Jesus has to say about it. He says, don't pray like that. But when you pray, go to your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will give you something. Will reward you. Now, all the other illustrations ended right here with this thought, that my Father will reward you. But in this example of prayer, Jesus keeps talking. So let's see what else he has to say about this. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here about prayer? He seems to think that the Father knows you have a need before you ask. Jesus thinks we're going to be coming to God and asking him for some things because we have needs. And this is where we're going to land for the rest of our time together. Did you know that, that the word pray means to ask? Pray, in the original language, there's like about six or seven different words for prayer, and they all mean ask. I don't know if that thought has kind of makes your mind do a backflip or not. I've been told a lot that like, you know, you first do this in prayer, you praise, and you adore, and you do this, and you do that, and you do that, and at the very end, maybe you can ask. But pray means to ask. And Jesus seems to encourage us that that's what prayer is. Praying means to ask God for something. So I just leave you that thing to think about. When you pray, you ask. Now, to show you and help you process through what praying might be then, I want to look at some prayers in the New Testament. You know, I didn't find out, I didn't really know that there was actually prayers written in the New Testament part of the Bible. And the New Testament, well, the New Covenant really doesn't start until Jesus dies and rises again and then, then the New Covenant begins. But there's, oh man, six, seven, eight prayers that are recorded in that part of the Bible. And so, I would like to just share a couple of those. That's all we have time for this morning. I'm going to share a couple to just show you what I mean. Paul prays for people all the time, and his prayers are recorded in the books that he's written. And here's a couple of them from the book of Ephesians. So in Ephesians 1, he says, I keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you could know him better. That's Paul. He's with a group of people. There might be lots of suffering, illness, death, persecution going on. But when he's going to pray for the core of people and what he desires for them, he asks God, Give them things. Reward them. Here he asks them to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. If God rewards us and gives us something like that, then you know what? We leave different. It's not like when you're working your life in front of other people hoping for a reward and they give you, they see you and maybe they honor you, but you leave the same person. But when God rewards you, he has a verb, and he's giving you something. 
so that you have something besides just yourself. You're no longer leaving a situation the same person. Now you have something in you that's not just you. That gave me hope many years ago because just me and life didn't do so well. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here's another verse. A little bit farther down, he says, I pray or I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Wow, there he is again, praying and asking. Asking that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened or open so they could see and so they could know God's power. And then another prayer. I pray or I ask that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Here again, he's asking, asking God to strengthen us with power. And then that continues. And I pray that you, again, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. When I got to this portion of a prayer many years ago, in my 30s, when I'm just discovering what it is to pray to God and ask him for things because I so needed something besides myself to do life, I started praying these prayers. But when I got to this portion, I was so hopeful. I was like, oh good, there's something that I can know that surpasses knowledge. Because I never felt like a very smart person. School was a little difficult for me. It was hard for me to read. Matter of fact, by age 30, I'd only read through one book my whole life. Because it was hard for me to get words off a page and understand what was going on. I remember at age 22, I remember how old I was because I was pregnant with my oldest daughter who's here today. And I remember going to a woman in my church and saying, I don't feel like I'm very smart not very intellectual. And she said, Vaughn, in the book of James, it says if you lack wisdom, you can ask God because he gives generously to those without finding fault. And that was probably my first real prayer. I had a need and I asked because God gives. And I started praying for wisdom. And if you are sitting here and you are more of an intellectual mind, I tell you, you know what? That, that's one way to get to know God. But there's beyond that. If you're only using your mind, you still have a need. Because there's something that surpasses knowledge and you're going to have to ask God for that have to ask God to show you the love that surpasses what you can comprehend in your mind. Because he wants to give you 
more than what your little brain can even take in. So that prayer end, well, it doesn't quite end, but the next thought in it anyway, we're not going to look at the whole prayer, but ends with this, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, you just read things and you think, oh, that's cool, and you just keep reading, but you see what Paul dares to pray? He's praying that God would give, give, give to these people so that they could be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Have you ever prayed and said, God, could I be filled to all the measure of your fullness? I mean, that sounds like something I shouldn't even pray. <laughs> I mean, could that even happen? But that's what Paul prays for. And I saw that and I began praying that for myself. Well, how I don't know how that could possibly be, but if you want to give me something that could fill me to your measure of your fullness, then Lord, I want that. See, that's what prayer is, is asking God to do something for you or to give you something. And I'm going to end with a prayer from Jesus, and I don't have verses, I don't have a lot of time to spend here with you, but I want to at least let you know Jesus prayed a prayer to his dad, to God the Father, in John 17, just before he dies. We hardly ever look at this prayer, but Jesus is praying to his Father, and all the words, I mean, there's more than 20 verses, and it shows you exactly how he prays. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had lots of different formulas thrown at me about how you should pray. One of them being, well, you pray, when you pray, you pray for this, you pray for that, 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 and you, then you, this little pinky that's very small, that's you, and you pray for yourself last. And I don't know how people come up with these formulas, but I like looking at Scripture. What does Scripture teach me? What does Scripture show me about prayer? How did Jesus pray? In John 17, he prayed for himself first. Then he prayed for his friends, and then he prayed for all of us who would believe. I saw that, and I was like, well, that's not what I was taught. Seems a prideful way to start prayer. That's what Jesus does. He prays for himself first. And the very first thing he does in prayer is he asks his father, his dad, to do something for him. He hardly gets a word out of his mouth and he's like, Lord, glorify me. I read that and I was like, wow, that sounds prideful. I mean, could I say that? Could I go to God and say, glorify me? I mean, that doesn't even seem like that would be right. And yet I think it's perfectly right. And we're going to see why. Jesus says, glorify me so that I can glorify you. Glorify me because I want to give these people the glory that you've given to me. 
See, Jesus doesn't go through his life thinking he can do anything for his father. And I think so often in our life we think, I'm going to do this good thing for God. That's the way I lived my life. A lot of the time, I thought I had to do something good for God to impress him. Jump off that trampoline really high. Maybe he'll see me. <laughs> but when I try and do it by myself, I land on my head. See, Jesus, who is the Son of God, and if you, and we don't, like I said, I don't have time to read through that whole prayer, but if you, if you would read John 17, you're going to see Jesus repeating over and over again. God has gave me something, and so I did this. God, you gave me this, and so I did that. The words I speak, well, they're not my words. God gave me words, and I spoke them to you. God gave me glory, and so I gave it to you. God gave me glory, and so I glorified him back. And if you read that, you'll see that Jesus is talking to his dad all the time. He's saying, you gave it to me, so I did this. You gave. Do you know what God's given you? Have you ever dared to ask him for anything? Just to share a few examples so that you can understand maybe what I'm talking about. I already told you that I didn't feel very smart, so I prayed to God and asked him to give me wisdom. I felt like I had a need. I wasn't very smart. If I wasn't smart, maybe I could pray for wisdom and he could teach me something. I remember reading the Gospel of John and coming across a verse that said, um, Jesus is speaking and he says, my sheep know my voice and they listen to me. And I just stopped and I was like, Lord, I'm your sheep. I'm one of your children. But I don't know if I know your voice. So I asked him, I said, can you open my ears so I can get to know your voice? So I began reading the Bible differently and then the reading the Bible became fun because instead of looking at what I thought I should do or what I was doing wrong, I started reading the Bible and looking for things I could ask God for. Paul says that God wants to give us every spiritual blessing and I'd read that and I'd say, okay, then can you give that to me? Can you give me every spiritual blessing? Started to feel like a toddler that says, give me this and give me that. But Jesus says you have to become like children in order to enter. I told you earlier that I struggled with pride and I came across the verse when I didn't know how to get the pride off my shoulders, I prayed and I asked God to knock the pride off my shoulders. I didn't know how to get it off and I tried and it just didn't work. And, and I came across the verse that said, God opposes the proud. And I said, okay, God. But I'm going to ask you to oppose the pride in me. I used to always read that verse and say, yeah, good, good. I'm glad you're opposing those proud people over there. They... I need you to oppose him. But then he showed me my plank, and I was like, no, oppose the pride in me. Will you do that for me? And I have to get you going. But I want to tell you that there's, just give you two examples of um, people in the Bible and show you how they knew how to respond to Jesus. Jesus one day was talking to a woman at a well. 
I can't go into that conversation, but at one point in the conversation with this woman, he says to her, if you knew who God was, if you knew the gift of God, so if you knew the gift of God, that means God has gifts, which must mean God is a giver of gifts. If you knew that God was a giver of gifts and you knew who I was, then you would what? What would you do if you really knew who God was and you knew who Jesus was? You know, would you fall down in worship? Would you like turn your head in shame or... Well, Jesus has the answer. He says to her, if you knew who God was, that he was a giver of gifts, and you knew who I was, you would ask him, and he would have given you. Jesus, the person who knows God the best, he says, if you knew my dad, then you would ask him for things, and he would give you. And the woman's response to that was, give me. That's why I encouraged you to read scripture and say, Lord, give me this, give me that. That's her response, give me. Or maybe you want something more proper. Then you could say what Mary, Jesus' mother, did when the angel came to her and said, you are going to house the Son of God. And she's like, can't even comprehend that with her mind. And yet she says this, she says, let it happen to me as you have said. So those could be two ways you could approach reading scripture. Look for something that you'd like to ask God for and either say, give me, or say, let that happen to me as you have said. It's like start reading the Bible like you would a Where's Waldo book. Red and white striped guy that's hidden in the picture. Look for the little treasure and say, Lord, I want that. Because if he gives you something from his storehouse, then you can leave and live life with something more than just yourself. And then you have something that God has gifted you with and filled you with. And once he's given you something, then you have something to give to someone else. So Jesus says, pray, ask, so that my Father can reward you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing us who your Father is. We've had so many skewed ideas of what God looks like. And it seems to be that you want us to know that he's a giver of gifts. I used to think he was a father that had a finger pointing at me, showing me everything I did wrong, which made me want to hide. But you seem to invite us in and say, no, he's much different than that. And so, Lord, if our eyes, if our hearts truly have eyes, 
And I pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see you, so we could start to get to know you, so that you would be approachable enough for us to ask and feel loved by you at the same time. Thank you for presenting another week before us that we get to live and walk through. And um, Lord, open our eyes and our ears so that we get to know what your voice sounds like, what your glory looks like. Lord, we would pray that simple prayer even that Jesus prayed and say, would you glorify us, Lord, so that we can in turn glorify you in some small way this week. Pray you'd do that. In Jesus' name, amen.